three, two. Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Well, today we're with Michael, a resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and I'm Matt Till, lead pastor of Restoration Church in the suburban sprawl, Chicago, Illinois. It's good to be with you all today and welcome to our audience. And thank you for joining us for doing theology and community together with us. Uh, gentlemen, how are you today? Fatigued, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I think with all the people that we've been meeting with and talking to, and uh, I, I think I particularly have eyeball fatigue from staring at the monitor. I am with uh, you. Zoom fatigue is real. Zoom fatigue, for sure. All mine, the eye doctors and optometrists are going to be seeing a huge bump, I think, in the coming months. Yeah, <laughs> my uh, my Zoom fatigue set in sometime last week or even the week before. And so I've been trying not to be on as much, uh, which is probably not wise. But it's what I've done because I couldn't <laughs> handle it anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, I think fatigue so, is probably an accurate assessment about how we're feeling about Zoom and probably how many people are feeling right now. Yeah. yeah. So does that extend out to plague fatigue? How are, are we fatigued about this plague yet? You mean just talking about COVID? Well, that talking about it, hearing about it. I mean, it's all day, every day uh, on the news and on the internet. Has plague fatigue set in yet on you guys? I think so. The answer is no. And the reason the answer is no for me is because I think a whole lot of people are now starting to come to grips with the fact that this isn't going anywhere. So I think if, so if it was like a, if it was like a, a the, the latest Hollywood news or uh, some big celebrity story, it could fizzle out. And, you know, you could kind of say, okay, I'm done hearing about this celebrity. Let's move on to the next thing. The reality is there is no moving on to the next thing. The reality of COVID is upon us and its effects are going to be long lasting. And I was joking uh, with the, you know, friend of the pod, Nate Goss. And um, Nate and I said, look, I, everybody right now can get hits on their blog, on their podcast, on their thoughts by just saying, what are going to be the lasting ramifications of COVID on? And then they just put their subject, whatever their, mm. whatever their thing is, everybody is going to be able to get, uh, get traction because people are going to say, wow, like what are the long-term effects of this? You know, Nate and I were talking about movie theaters, mm. but oh, right. um, like the reality is every aspect of our lives seems that it is altered or could be altered by COVID. So I personally am not fatigued by talking about it, mainly because it is the new reality that we are looking at and uh, the world will be altered because of it. Yeah, it's a mix, isn't it? I mean, in some way, I hear what you're saying, and I, I agree, Andrew. It's interesting to see on the news, especially with states, you know, reopening businesses and the numbers of protests that are happening in our state, as well as around the country. And uh, and some of the horrific things. I mean, last night on the news, a uh, security guard was murdered because he confronted a person who didn't have uh, yeah. a mask on their face. I mean, murdered. Yeah. He was shot in the head. Yeah. Uh, and it's, so, what? I mean, what kind of 
nuttiness is this uh, yeah. causing? Um, and so it, well, it almost seems as evil if, knows no bounds. Yeah. So yeah. people are going to do evil and dumb things. Um, sometimes I, I I don't blame COVID for this. This is just the evil. This is now the thing that you know people are getting frustrated and evil comes out. Yeah. So, so for me, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you, Andrew, I'm actually not totally burned out on it, but what I am, um, I, I think what I'm experiencing is I'm trying to live in this middle place of, of trying not to get overly emotional about this, about what we're experiencing and trying to stay grounded, but also not to be apathetic towards it. And I see a lot of this back and forth, high emotion, uh, and, or going the other direction of being very apathetic. And like you said, though, there is a sense of like, this thing's not going away. And I think the ramifications of this is, is definitely going to be a long term, at least a 12 to 24 months, maybe beyond. And, um, and, and so for me, I, I'm like, we have to just think really clear about it and, and try to be as rational and logical about it, but also faith-filled people. Um, as we walk into these mm-hmm. times and I see so many people who would just prefer to say, yeah, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of moving. Let's just move on. This isn't a big of a deal. Let's just get back to work, get back to what we're doing. I think there's a lot of people who just prefer to kind of pretend like this is something that has to get put away. And, um, and, and I, I understand there's a lot of distrust right now. There's distrust of government agencies. There's distrust of the media. There's distrust of, of anybody who claims to be an authority in anything. Um, and so I, I think that um, that only adds fuel to the fire, depending upon which side of the line or the bias, you know, that you particularly have uh, towards this um, and the circumstances of what's going on in our world right now. And so, um, you know, I, I think that can all, if we get caught up in those arguments, I think that becomes very fatiguing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we have an opportunity to kind of step into seeing what the reality is of how we're dealing with this and, and what the implications are, I think it actually becomes invigorating um, in my mind. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it, I, and I can see that. And I think for, you know, the, the person that's being rational um, and really thinking through the implications for COVID, that, that, that is probably the response that we see. But, you know, I keep thinking about the history of the church and uh, what we see historically at times of plagues and what those plagues did to uh, the people, to governments. And uh, I keep watching our news in the United States and uh, I haven't been that attentive to news around the world, but my suspicion would be that as this progresses, as, as the, the time of this progresses and the numbers of death continues to increase, that we'll see similar things. But um, in the early church, you know, Matt, Matt and I that uh, just wrote this little book on COVID-19 and the church looking at the early church and how they responded. But um, uh, one of the things that we see in the Roman Empire were, you know, increased tribalism was something that happened. And people were uh, bonding together in their own tribes and it created uh, civil wars and it created opportunities for invading uh, forces to invade the Roman Empire. And many will point back to, um, you know, both the Antonine and the Cyprian plagues and say that those were, those were uh, 
salient features of the decline of the Roman Empire because it took out so much of the Roman military, uh, those plagues did. Mm. And so people look at those as opportunities. And then, you know, you fast forward to the 21st century and here we have a plague and what seems to be an increased tribalism in our country. Yeah. Uh, you have those who are insisting that this is fake news or or those who are insisting that, you know, we've got to reopen the country and uh, get back to our normal and this is our American right and, and so on. And then you have, you know, government officials saying we need to slow the process down and you have others who are being a little bit more patient and trying to persevere through a very difficult time. And then uh, the, the other day, there's the headline um, uh, in one, was it The Economist that, uh, I can't remember if it were, if it, what uh, magazine it was in, but, but uh, the, the potential threat of war between the United States and China. Yeah. And uh, it's only been increased. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, these things, they're interesting uh, results of plague. Famine uh, is another one of those results of a plague when, you know, we're seeing even in our country a shortage of meat now because uh, factory workers uh, are are becoming ill and dying and and uh, the meat supply is cut short and. And then you have produce that's not able to get to market and being wasted away. And I mean, these are all things that if they're not properly addressed can result in something uh, th- that will potentially be devastating. So here's where I'm at. And uh, for me, I, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about this in terms of I'm, I'm burdened today. Um, and, and I'm, I'm feeling the burden of it this week as a pastor, as a, as a, as a, somebody who thinks missionally, um, as a influencer, as even as a, as a husband and a father, I'm just, I'm burdened. Um, I'm burdened for, um, our country. I'm burdened for the church and, um, and I'm burdened because I see, um, that there is this growing an, uh, animosity, distrust, falsehoods, um, frustration and high and just this. And as you said, Michael, this high, like ideological tribalism is just taking place. Um, and it's rampant right now and, um, it's rampant in dialogue on social media. It's happening even in private conversations. Um, and I'm even seeing it even within the context of our own church of just like, there's just, you know, as we just think through, like you could see people are coming at this from a different angle in a different place. And, um, and part of this is just growing emotion, emotion out of what isolation just naturally brings to mm-hmm. people. Right. So some of this is like totally understood. It's like, I get it, man. Like this is, we've never experienced this before uh, for a country that prides itself on, individual rights and freedoms for the in for for every person i mean this is especially for people for white middle america suburbia like like this is like we've never experienced an attack on one's privilege before ever in our lifetime and so um other than 9 11 mm-hmm. would be the closest thing we've experienced right and so from but, that perspective, yeah, was that yesterday we were talking about this, or maybe I was talking about that with our family, uh, the, the, the difference between 9-11 and this yeah. plague, you know, 9-11 was almost a unifying effect because it, there was an external enemy that was identifiable mm-hmm. that everybody could rally around and, and we did something about it. I mean, the U S government did something about that. Yeah. That was our Whereas, conversation. You and I, yeah. yeah, where this is, this is a unseen enemy that um 
the, the best minds in the world are trying to wrestle with about how to confront and attack and to win. And uh, it's, it's taken some time, but um, while yeah. protecting uh, personal interests, political interests, right. economic interests, right? I mean, yeah, the and personal freedoms saying, and yes. all of those things. Yeah. Well, you, you said it and Mike, my mind kind of jumped towards that. Like this is the first time that we've actually had our privileges attacked mm. and it's kind of like we've had our whiteness challenged, you know, for a lot of people yeah. that have um, been not as privileged as many of us have. Um, I think that's why even many of our friends, family and neighbors are so frustrated and they want to take it out on the government because that's, that's the, that's the enemy that they can put a name or the to. scientists yeah. depending yeah, yeah, on yeah. which side you're coming on. But yeah, mm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because on nine 11, they can say this is the enemy. Yeah. And so they are looking at their own privileges now that are going away or being restricted. And so who, somebody has to be the bad guy because you can't go and shake your finger at COVID, but you can shake your finger at the government or the scientists that are saying these things. And uh, it's definitely causing a lot of distrust and mistrust. When you say burdened, Matt, when you say you are burdened by so much of this tribalism, mm -hmm. I'd say being exposed <laughs> um, as opposed to being created. Agreed. Um, yes, exposed. I would agree with that. Uh, yeah. What do you mean when you say burdened? What does that mean like in your mind and in your heart? Is it a, is it like subtle depression? Is it a sadness? Is mm -hmm. it like or just a, a darkness as you kind of see it? Like, what do you mean when you say that? <laughs> uh, so uh, let me put it this way. Um, so, you know, when you're in school, maybe in college, think back to college, maybe even high school, the teacher throws a pop quiz on you, right? And the pop quiz is, is basically, you've got a project you've been studying, you've been working towards the exam, right? But he throws the pop quiz out there, he or she. And the pop quiz, the whole purpose that the teacher throws the pop quiz out there is it's going to be an ungraded quiz. Teacher doesn't tell you that ahead of time. You all, the whole class takes it and you've got like the two all-stars in the class that like totally rock it, but everybody else utterly fails it, right? The purpose of the quiz was to test you to see, have you been keeping up with your study? Are you learning and hitting the benchmarks in order to prepare you for the final exam? To me, what we are experiencing today is nothing more than a pop quiz. As tragic and as horrific as this is right now, we're approaching 70,000 lives um, uh, gone um, as a result of COVID-19. In the U.S. In the U.S., thank you. And in the U.S., they have now upped the projections to double that by August. Um, they originally had this total projected months ago. Social distancing, all these other things, we can reduce that. They have now re-revised re their models and they've gone back and said, no, we're going to be in the 100 to 120,000 range by the end of August again. Um, because we've got states opening up again, things like that. This is not a political statement. It's just this is what the scientists are telling us. And so far, they've been spot on on this. Yeah, stuff. follow the numbers. That's all that says. It is. This is th this is horrific. This is this is an issue. This is a pandemic. And um, and yet, and yet, in all of this, this is small potatoes. This is the pop quiz. This is the test before the final exam. And I'm burdened because as maybe somebody who I feel like right now has been studying, 
the person who's been studying and thinking about this, not just from a church perspective, but even just from a global perspective, somebody who's been really getting his head and his heart around the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his transformative work can possibly do to the, for the world. Um, and reconciling all things back together again in Jesus, we have to start in the household of faith and the household of faith is utterly failing this exam mm-hmm. right now. And what I see is that we took the test, we took the pop quiz, teacher shows up with the pop quiz and they all like, oh man, I didn't study for this. Oh man, can we just go back to like the last year's exam? Can we just do that one? Cause I had that one, right? That one I knew what to do. I don't know what to do for this one. Teacher, you didn't prepare me for this. It's your fault. You didn't teach me well enough. Mm-hmm. Well, I got this other issue over here. This is why I haven't been able to study for the exam. I'm like, we're failing this. This is a failure and the exam is still coming. And so from my perspective, I'm sitting here going, and I'm not thinking like I've got some, any sort of uh, prophetic utterance. I don't think I have any sort of special insight that anybody else does. But when I look at the exam and I go, we're, we're failing this exam. And I, to be honest with you, I'm part of that and going like, I didn't get all the answers. I didn't, I didn't study hard enough. I don't think that there's, there's something here that I'm missing here that I think we need to get. We, get to, we need to get right. We got to hit the books again and we got to get ourselves prepared for next round. And I'm not saying it's next round of COVID. I don't know what it is. But we know the end game here, and um, and that's a revelation that we've been given in Christ. And I and I'm looking at this by going, man, we are not doing well, and um, and I'm and I'm frustrated because the class basically instead of unifying and saying look into the teacher by going, teacher teach me, um, they're actually pointing fingers at each other. They've they've gone they've they've instead of we're cannibalizing one another. Um, it, it's, it's Paul's letter to the Galatians who has bewitched you. And by the way, quit devouring one another. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, and so I, like, I'm seeing this being played out in real time and that's my burden. My burden is one of, of frustration, but at the one of just sadness by going, come on, what's it going to take? What's it, what is it mm-hmm. going to take for us to begin to see the renewed movement? And, and I think as much as we keep pushing forward for movement, I almost, I'm beginning to think, do we need to step back? Do we need to just rethink, do, do we need to like, haul, you know, haul everyone back together again? Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know the answers here and I'm, um, and I've just, I've been feeling it. So, and, and yeah. just as I'm having these private conversations and stuff. So, so my rant's over, but. Um, <laughs> well, now you <laughs> no, put yeah. it on a podcast, so it's not so private. Yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, there are so many things to unpack here, Matt. I, I mean, there's the burden part of this and you know, where do we go from here? Part of this too. And I'm just reminded of things that we've been talking about on this podcast uh, for a year that um, it, it, at least it seems to me that this, this shouldn't be complicated for the church. And the fact that we're in this situation where Matt, you're, you're in essence giving us a grade of F that we're, that we're failing at uh, our response here. Maybe a D minus. A D minus is exposing, I, I think, what might be summarized in a very simple way, and that is that we're just not unified as uh, on the mission of God uh, as a church. I mean, we're, we're we're fragmented. We're, I mean, there's as much tribalism in the church today as there is in society, and um, and we're not we're not coming together on that common mission that we know that God has given us to declare His glory to to all people. See, I think it was it on the podcast the other week that I said, you know, we as the church have been tried and found wanting. Mm. You know, totally adopting C.S. Lewis's quote uh, and repurposing it from my own. So since I did that, it makes me smarter. 
Um, well done. But the truth of the matter is, I actually usually am kind of, I'm not calling what you said, Matt, pessimistic. Sometimes I take the glasses half empty type yeah. take and, uh, um, and I get uh, concerned and worried and over talk and get frustrated at things. But I have also been a part of a lot of conversations with church leaders in Houston and we, and maybe it's just my crew, maybe it's the friends that I have or just the, the circles that I've been invited into, but I'm seeing glasses half full. And what I'm seeing is not, um, let's fight about who is right or wrong in the advice that we went and, and took after, who was wrong in the, uh, in the model that we pursued. I think everybody in, in, from my conversations, they have also assessed we have been tried and found wanting and have been driven back to mission, as in to say, okay, what we were doing, we thought what we were doing was about mission. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as much as we thought. So how do we re-engage in our mission? And it has, it has caused people to start saying, how do we do, why do we do what we do? And what are we pursuing and training and equipping people for uh, again? And so I, I see this as a big cry to return back to mission and churches, at least locally and friends and, and leaders, they're saying, we th th we're really happy. This has caused us a chance to reanalyze, go back to the basics. We need to do a better job equipping. We need to do a better job discipling. Great. So this is how we're going to do it. And so they're taking off on that. So they aren't sitting on their thumbs. They aren't frustrated and they aren't folding their arms and saying, well, this sucks. Um, but everybody has kind of re-engaged and said, let's get back at it. Let's, uh, you know, kind of having that movement question, what is it going to take to reach people in this era? So I'm energized. Um, yeah, maybe. Good. So Andrew, yeah. I have a question for you because, uh, I mean, you brought up that we were doing something before. Define that a little bit. How would you say this is what we were doing, but this uh, th that is causing us now to rethink uh, and ask the question, were we really on mission? I mentioned this on the podcast. Now I'll say last week, uh, our live podcast with others that we discussed. And uh, if you haven't caught that, please catch last week's. It was very encouraging, but something that I brought up was that um, even the most missionally, theologically rigorous churches who were constantly talking mission, you know, and uh, they were using all the missional language and, and talking about how to get into communities and show them Jesus. Even some of the more bold ones have had a collective initial collective freak out when we lost the opportunity to have a Sunday gathering. When, when the Sunday service left, then we all, those of us who were super excited to have that missional theology and developed our ministries around it, we're now challenged. How missional were you? How really intent on bringing people to Christ and having them grow as disciples and, and truly have a life change and a world change. How, how, how much of a culture of mission did you have? Or did you have a culture of a worship service? And 
what I mean to say is these conversations have been found that we had more of a culture of a worship service than we thought we did. Mm-hmm. It was much bigger of a foundational block than we thought. Now we at Neartown, we have been asking, what is the mission that God has called us to? We constantly say that we are inviting busy people to experience a piece of life with Jesus Christ. And we do that as a church, not as a church organization, but as the body of Christ. That is what we are calling people to do, to really come and be changed by him. But what we are seeing is that we had a lot more of a culture of a worship service than we thought. And now we are asking the question, what are we taking off after? And how does a gathering on a Sunday help that as opposed to how does the Sunday gathering serve the mission? I said it better last night. Uh, Apparently my sleep didn't help. (laughs) How, How is the form of the Sunday gathering helping propel the function of making disciples? And so we're trying to, to drill down now, what is the mission that we are pursuing? How are we helping our people become disciples who are going to equip other disciples to disciple? And then when we begin to gather again together, how does that help what we are doing as opposed to just the Sunday gathering is everything? Um, so Andrew, yeah. I, Andrew, I, um, I have a question here to ask you too as a follow-up because I, by the way, I'm so encouraged by what you and uh, your lead pastor, Russell, who's been on a uh, friend of the podcast, who's been on with us recently. Um, and I'm so encouraged to hear what you guys are going through and the process that you guys are, are taking on. And one of the things that I have realized as we've been really digging in with a small group of people and in going through paradigm shifts is that the paradigm shift eventually hits a wall and the wall is at the level is at a heart level. Um, we can get to the paradigm by intellectually, um, argumentatively thinking through, and even practically, we could think by going, hey, you know what, practically COVID-19 is causing us to think differently about church, so let's let's do that. But at the end of the day, you're going to get down to a heart level um, where somebody, you're going to have individuals in your church, actual people who will eventually go along with the program for some period of time and will actually engage with it and start to believe in their mind and even in their practice Uh, that this is a good thing. But when suddenly it challenges the very inner part of their heart, a family member dies and says, we've always Mm. had um, a funeral inside the church building. And now there's no church building at my own church. Uh, There's the wedding that's always taken place in the the church building or in the church facility. Mm. Now there's no facility for that. Um, something like of that kind of level. Now, granted, uh, generationally, we're kind of moving away from that anyway. So younger generations aren't going to be as concerned about it. But there's always going to be something about somebody with their, with their heart, the way that that tugs on them. And one of the things I've realized about the, the transformation of the heart, or the transformation of the individual is, in fact, the transformation of the heart. And the heart doesn't just need to believe something. It actually needs to find its identity in something else, right? And, um, and for every person, this kind of shifts. It's a shifting. It's not just a one-size-fits-all. And uh, what I've discovered is I feel like even in my own walk, in my own life is lamenting over the things that I have placed above the mission Mm. of Jesus Christ. Mm. And there are, that is a long list. I thought it was a short list. It's a long list. Yes. It's been this massive idol exposing scenario. So my question really is this is in as, and you, you probably don't even have an answer for me for us today, and I'm not going to put you on the spot for it. So I guess it's more, uh, 
theoretical or hypothetical, I suppose. Um, but ha- has there a moment of lament that has taken place amongst the church staff and amongst um, even then following through and taking that with your church as well? And this is something I'm processing through is realizing lamenting over the things that I've been holding above that of just the, the simple mission of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ that forsakes all things um, for him and his kingdom. And that means putting it all on the table. We've said, everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. And everyone's like, yep, great. Everything's on the table. But then suddenly it's like, when it's actually on the table, and by the way, that's my thing on the table, and it's getting shot at, I suddenly, there's people who get in defensive mode, and myself included. Mm. And suddenly I'm like, I'm going to protect yeah. that thing. And you, you'll leech in. And these are the moments. And and for me, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think this is great. I mean, we need this. But, and I guess my my burden is like, where, are we going back to, are we going back and having a moment of lament? Because I don't think until we do that as as a global church um, and as a Western church, I don't think we're moving forward. I think, we're, I gonna think keep, we're gonna keep the idol on the table. We're just gonna work around it. I think you're asking the right question because it's, it's um, are we lamenting? Some might say yes. It's, are you lamenting your privilege? Are you lamenting your comforts? Or are you lamenting your sin? Yeah. And until we kind of call the thing an idol, until we, when we say that we have been actually worshiping this or finding comfort in it as opposed to Jesus, that's, that's the sin, you know, that's not, I'm not trying to uh, just throw sin about lightly, like sin, that's a sin, that's a sin. You have right. a sin. We have a sin. Like yeah. Oprah with sin. Um, I more mean to say, I think a lot of us have been challenged and are finding that we have had our idols in comfort and seeking peace in things other than Jesus. And it was a lot easier to say, I found my comfort in going to gather at restaurants with friends. And when that got taken away, that was kind of like a, that was an oh shucks. Like I look forward to having that back. But in some part of our minds, we're like, okay, well, that's going to come back. It's when it's like, I found my comfort. I found my peace in surrounding myself with Christians, uh, just like M- Michaela said last week in the, in the very stereotypical Sunday gathering format. Like I know what to expect when I go into a church and it is in that, in that rhythm and it is in that habit. I found my peace. Yeah. Not Jesus. Again, yes. it, it yes. wasn't, we did not allow oh, yeah. that gathering to serve the mission yeah. It became the mission. It became the it mission. Became yeah. what we were worshiping. I, everyone, if you're listening to that, you just hit that little back button, uh, that 15 second back button on your podcast. You tap that twice, and just listen to that again. It's it's hard because um, out of the three of us, as we have already at- articulated, and I always am like, well, we as Neartown Church, we kind of fall into that legacy ish, and I use ish because. I know that there is so much that we are thinking and trying and doing and attempting in our context to reach people with the name of Christ that I don't want to get, frankly, it's, it's maybe it's a, um, I'm insecure about being lumped with all the legacy churches and I'm just mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not like them. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, don't, don't call me that. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I think part of this process has caused me to ask that question, how much like the legacy are we, how much Mm. have we, and I'm talking me personally, and I don't Mm. want anybody who's a part of Neartown church or affiliated with us to think I'm throwing low blows at my fellow leaders. Like I'm not, 
I'm talking to myself. How much am I running to the that Sunday gathering? And for me, even just leading and yeah. uh, doing structures and making sure we have a flow. How much of that is about comfort as well? Yeah. So you know, and I, I mean, you're bringing up something that's triggering uh, a thought in my mind that you know, I think I think the there's a there is the real possibility that as we progress through this crisis that on the other side of it what we will have done is created a new different looking institution and 100%. um and, and and yeah that that, Sadly, that could be yes. concerning uh to us that you know we're not getting we're not taking this opportunity to recalibrate toward the mission and uh and and to focus on that mission and yeah so i'm so yeah so 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 if we do like okay so this is a part of the frustration that i have even in some of these conversations because will that happen absolutely like was that happening before covid yes were we frustrated by the institutions that were just existing only to propel themselves forward or to take ground so that they could continue to exist and doing so in spite of the name of Christ. Yes, they were. And so why wouldn't we think they would still do the same thing through a crisis? Yeah. What we need to try to do in our own spheres and through our prayers and begging God is that we are going to talk to our brothers and sisters about actually engaging that mission that God has mm-hmm. called us to. We are going to pray that there are leaders and pastors and people in positions of power and authority within these institutions. They're going to bring these things up. Uh, the question was posed last night, how big is too big for a church to actually continue on in Christ's mission? And, and I said, well, can we turn the question on its head? Is the church still pursuing the mission? Mm-hmm. Like. So I think that's the question, like, Michael, I understand the frustration. I understand that there are going to be institutions that are going to spend their energy around, again, referencing last week's podcast, there are going to be institutions pursuing, how do we fix the trellis? And there Mm -hmm. are other institutions that are going to say, this has given us an opportunity to refocus on the vine and growing the the vine. And so or rather hooking into the vine and receiving life from Christ and, and the ministry that he has given us. And so I, I, I don't want to focus on all the people who are going to screw this up because they're everywhere and they are, I can't count how many institutions are going to do that. Yeah. What we need to do is be praying and encouraging people to, to go back and, and stop the mission drift, come back to the mission and then come alongside them and say, how can we encourage you? How can we pray for mm. you? How can we help you? continue to chase after this mission. Because if I spend all of my time getting frustrated and pissed at the people who are chasing after their institutions, I am going to go nuts. I I don't have enough energy to consider or or chase after all of this. Mm. I would rather me spend my time and energy in prayer life focused Mm. in on people who are going to chase after or who God is going to utilize this to call back to himself to chase after what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Andrew. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And now because uh, you used a, a, a borderline swear word, we now have to say our <laughs> podcast is explicit. That's so thank you for, Uh-oh. 
turning us up on the ranks. <sighs> um, right. Speaking sorry. of which, Andrew, and as we look forward to the future, then if we think, try to think some pos- positively about this and about missionally, we've had these discussions before already on the podcast, but as we just continue, as we, you know, as, uh, as we kind of get closer to reopening, as we get closer to, okay, people want to try to identify what a new normal is going to look like. Let's at least look at some of the issues or some of the things that those who are thinking missionally need to think about. Um, right now, uh, as of this recording, which we're recording it on May 5th, um, the Washington Post um, published an article this morning, and uh, they the article is on kind of the mixed signs or the mixed signals of uh, really the, the public sentiment about reopening, okay? So reopening economies, things like that. And they just kind of took a national-wide poll across all different states. Uh, they put together, um, I'm looking at it right now in front of me, um, some statistics of their polling that they've done. And uh, they give a percentage based on types of um, economies or different types of, um, of places. So for example, golf courses, retail shops, barber shops, and the percentage of Americans or adults that feel comfortable with those things opening as of now, as of May. Okay. So at the top of the list is golf courses. Uh, you guys want to take a guess as to the percentage, uh, the number of people who feel comfortable or support having golf courses open as of today? 90%. Michael, what's your guess? Oh, I would be around there too. I think 85 to 95%. 41%. What? That's the top of the list. Really? Only 41% support. I mean, having... the most that you have on a, on a, uh, on a whole are four people. Yeah. 41%. Don't get, don't you can get me easily started. be six feet apart. Lots of us disc golfers have been fighting this kind of on the, this weird space as disc golfers. Like we want to be outside. We want to continue to pursue exercise. We're touching our own discs. Yeah. Like as long as we're <laughs> staying apart from people, why are you going to shut this down? Yeah. Right. But then everybody else is like, but the chains have been touched by people who could be potentially contaminated. And when you reach in to grab your disc at the end of the hole. And it's yeah. Like, oh, right. My gosh. Yeah. So anyway, well, 41%. And, well, so so here here's a just a little perspective right now. Uh, despite um, so uh, these are this is like currently the things that are kind of available now for most people are like a grocery store, right? Only fifty six percent actually feel comfortable going to the grocery store as of today, no matter what the restrictions are. Wait a minute, fifty six percent of the people feel uncomfortable with going to a grocery store, but do you feel comfortable? Do they feel, do feel they comfortable. feel comfortable? Fifty six and only forty one percent feel comfortable about golf. Uh, support going to golf courses right now. Yeah, yeah. that means fifty six percent are comfortable and forty four percent are dying. I mean, yeah. how are they not? How are they getting their food? Well, they you know maybe they're don't they're going anyway, but they feel uncomfortable about it. Yeah, right. This is about Fine. a level of comfort. Retail shops at thirty four percent. Barber shops, hair salons at thirty one percent. Dining that, restaurant. That one I get. Yeah, I mean, dining restaurant. Dining restaurants, only 26% feel comfortable that they would go. Um, yeah. That's pretty, that's going to be rocking to that industry. Um, gyms, only 22%. And at the bottom of the list that they have, at least what they've done, is movie theaters at 18%. Now, if you think right. about the church growth movement, and all of our yeah. church growth movement has been focused on the movie theater type model. Yeah. And if only 18% of all adults wow. currently at the beginning of May feel comfortable with their states reopening a movie theater and going to a movie theater. I think we should be thinking about this differently. Yeah. And now do they have anything about the church in there? No, no, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, what about classrooms? 
classroom? Was it a university? part of their No, yeah. e-learning. E but here's the deal. Okay, so let's take what you just said, Matt. Let's let's tease that out. If if 18% are comfortable going to a movie theater because they don't want to sit in a cold, dark room with strangers, you know. Well, and you're, and um, you're so close to them. But the reality thing. from each other. I don't, again, also probably not on the list, but if you say, hey, that's fine. You know, we as the church are good. We'll just gather in houses. Mm. People aren't happy to go gather in somebody's house in a confined space either. So, so I, so I a hundred percent agree with you actually. And, um, and so I, I want you to hear that from me, like even just going like, it's not just about the big thing. It's also about the small thing. This is a, this is a, to me, I'm looking at this by going, this is clearly categorically about my relationship to one another. And how do you mm -hmm. practice the one another's um, mm -hmm. within the context of mission and what it means to uh, be those who are Christ followers sent on a mission. And you have, you're looking at just general things that people do on everyday basis throughout their week. They go to a movie theater, they get their hair cut, they go to a restaurant and they go to a retail shop and maybe a few of them play golf and less than 50% feel comfortable going to play golf mm. and um, in this kind of environment. And then you've got all the way down to as little as 18% would want to go to a movie theater. What are your expectations of anybody really wanting to attend in person a church gathering at this point? Mm -hmm. um, I think is something we should be thinking about. Um, and something that is worthy of dialogue as we think about how do we do mission in this environment and beyond. Yeah. yeah. Michael, what do you I, think? I mean, What's your reaction? Yeah. I, uh, um, I mean, that definitely something that we need to think about. Um, can we can't, I mean, the question that I have, of course, is can we extrapolate out to the church uh, from the, the data on movie theaters I think one of them is, or one of the issues is, you know, what do people prioritize? And if you were to talk, if you were to do that survey with a, a group of, you know, people who self-identify as a Christian or an evangelical, I wonder if the numbers would be different. And if you were to include the church gathering on that, um, and that, that, that'll be something interesting to look at. I know, I, I mean, personally, as we've talked about this as a family, we would feel uncomfortable in gathering together in a large space um, because we know that we now have the mechanisms to do something similar uh, virtually. And, uh, and I'm sure that's what people are thinking about in terms of the movie theater as well. You know, we yeah. can gain access to those films and, and, you know, the, the whole, uh, film industry is beginning to adapt to that too, mm -hmm. uh, and doing early releases on you know whatever Netflix or uh, there's going to be something or, else yeah, whatever they're, they're yeah. going to create that's going mm -hmm. to satisfy the the consumer's appetite for um, for movies. And, and so is that, is that what is happening or will that happen in now, the churches? No, it's, well? pro it's probably certain again, now this is a polling data based on the middle of, uh, based on what I've been reading. Uh, we are at our peak. Uh, it seems like nation, uh, from a nationwide perspective, as of now, what they're calling a potential first wave. So we are likely in the middle of our peak still. And just like at the point of that apex where it's starting to just kind of trickle down a little bit, we're starting to see some decline in number of uh, new cases as well 
as um, deaths. Uh, praise the Lord for that. But it's just so early. And so I think people are still probably in their minds going, yeah, I don't know where I stand on all this. This all still seems really uh, weird. Um, I'm living in a world I don't fully recognize anymore. Um, there's a lot of shock involved. And so, and a lot of fear and trepidation, uh, rightfully so. So uh, others, of course, are going to be like, they're just going to go on as it is, wherever they stand, that's fine. And so um, there's some significant pieces here that I think I'm certainly, these numbers are going to rise over time. And certainly you'll see, you'll still see people return to the church. You'll see people return to movie theaters again. Um, but we do know that, you know, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm connected. I, I work with two different seminaries right now. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like, um, even as they're kind of navigating their, um, their fall plans, uh, you've got one that's saying we're going to be in class, uh, beginning in the fall. Um, we're planning on being in person. We have a low student ratio already with uh, a lot of extra space because they've already been seeing downturns in their um, in their enrollment. So for them, they're probably going to be able to space everybody out six feet apart in a classroom with a little with little implication. How While funny other- is that? That that yeah. seminary is like, you know what? We've actually had a real big downturn. Yeah. This is a blessing. <laughs> it's to we their were benefit. already prepared. Yeah, it is. It's to their benefit in this scenario, I suppose, right? Um, and yet at the same time, we see um, another se- seminary I'm working with is predominantly has already been migrating for the last 10 years to the online space. And they're just existing in that space now. And they're planning on they're doubling down on that. Um, and so we'll start to see who, how that kind of shapes out uh, for them. But um, everybody's got to make their own decision based upon the information that they have today and what they think tomorrow might look like, even though it, it can change at any moment. And I see that every church has got to think through that. Every, every Christian has to think about that for their household, for their family. And then as we think about the mission of God, we have to think about what is the information I have today that is shaping today and that is possibly going, is going to impact tomorrow. And how do I continue to live on mission in light of this? And, and it may involve shedding a whole lot of things that I've, yeah. that I've been holding on to in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, no, I agree. And I, I mean, it brings up the point that I was thinking about earlier on, uh, earlier that we're, we're going to be in a situation where we're going to recreate institutions. And I don't mean to say that negatively, and I don't want people to take that negatively, because I think that is a human thing to do. We create institutions and we're good at it. We've been doing it since the beginning of human history. Um, but, but the question to ask is, what kind of institution are we going to recreate? And what do we do now uh, in this time period? And it seems to me that this is, a, and we've, we've talked about this before, at least we've texted between ourselves, that this is a wonderful time period to think about how can I equip people now to be on this mission so that as we get out of this, if we get out of this, that we will be able to create an institution that first is thinking about the mission and the institution then will conform to that mission. It's the form function thing that we were talking about um, on our Facebook live uh, broadcast uh, last week. Um, So let's get, let's get the function, the function being the mission. Let's get that down. Let's be committed to that. And then uh, as we are reinstitutionalizing, as we're recreating what this institution is going to look like, that being the form, uh, then it will have the foundation that it needs. And so I, I think at least that's my hope um, that we have it in this time period to uh, really build into the lives of people and, and uh, equip them for uh, the works of ministry. 
and maybe this is my, again, this is kind of the, the hopeful thinking coming out is that I don't want us to wait. You know what I'm saying? Just like you're saying, like there's going to be institutions that are going to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, so how do we do what we do? And, and again, I know I got a little fiery earlier on the, the, the negative side of what potentially you could have been saying. And, uh, but the positive is, like you said, we, we do, we organize. I mean, we do. We institutionalize. Right. I mean, this is human nature. Yeah. It is what we do, but I don't want us to then lose ground, if you will, now. Like, how do we, how do we actually wake up every day saying, okay, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I've got today. And I know the conditions that I have today, what restrictions there are for gathering, what restrictions there are for mm-hmm. interacting with other humans. So how do I follow God's mission today? How do I do that today? And then once today's done, ask the exact same question tomorrow. And, and let's not put all of our eggs on this basket of what's it going to look like when some of these restrictions are lifted? Because they may not be lifted in the same way. They, things may not return. I have a sabbatical coming this summer. And there has been a lot of discussion around, wow, everything that we thought we were going to do, we now can't do. Mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the places that we were hoping to go, we can't go to them. And even discussing like, well, maybe we punch it down the line, like add some months and then we'll take the sabbatical. But I was talking to my friend and counselor and he was like, don't put your hope in what you don't know is going to happen. Because what if you punch it down the road and it's the exact same and you've missed your window essentially yeah. to be able because we don't know what's coming. And so the same thing, missionally speaking for the church, our mission isn't six months down the road. It's today. Yep, yep, right. And so how are we faithful with it today? How are we operating today? Because that's what we've got. So I'd like to uh, chime in here with um, just some wise words from our friend, Alan Hirsch, and, um, and think about, you know, how do we learn from, I mean, we could use, we can understand how this virus operates and really how any viruses operate. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a twisted negative way of thinking about this, but learning about like the virus knows what to do. I mean, it's not a live thing. It, it just, it knows it has the DNA. It has the, it is designed to do a particular task and that it, it does what it does and it doesn't need to be told. It doesn't need to be instructed. It doesn't need to rely upon any other system other than it just, when it spreads, it knows how to spread and replicate itself and then spread to the next individual, the next person, and, and do its work. And, um, and, and how do we think about that in terms of those who have, I mean, if we truly believe that we have, we are dwelled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that on that, uh, that day of a, the ascension, when Jesus ascends to heaven and says that you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses, um, are we content in knowing that that is actually true? And have we put our hope in our believing and our belonging um, and our behaving? Has that all relied upon an institutional system and our pastors, our, our, our Bible teachers, our worship music, our um, all the other things that we've developed? Have we stunted our own ability and undercut our own ability to be the people of God who are spirit-filled individuals who are learning to love God and love others in the way that Christ taught us through the scriptures. I, I, and so what, if Alan was in this conversation right now, which uh, you know, he would just simply be pointing us back to 
th- this idea of apest again. I mean, like he would literally be going to, yes, Matt, you're exactly right, ascension gifts. The gifts of the ascension are shown to us in Ephesians 4, and he gives the apostles, this Christ through his Holy Spirit, gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, basically to continue the mission, right? And so I think, you know, Andrew, to answer your question, like, where do we go from here? Like, I think we as the body of Christ need to rediscover what is it that Jesus has gifted us for? What is, what is the purpose in which he's given us in his mission in this world? Am, am, I, am I the apostle? Yep. Am I a prophet? evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and where's my place in that? And that's what I need to be doing. That's what yeah. I do today. That's what I do tomorrow. That's what I do the day after that and nothing else and nothing, you know, but yeah. in community with one another. Yes. Amen. And I've got to, I, I want to make sure that we double down on that is that we do still have to, even in isolation, even in separation, we've got to figure out a way to do this together because otherwise what we're going to end up doing is trying to say, how do my gifts fit me? And my own personal bent mm-hmm. and then just well how i take that one thing into the world uh when it's meant to be in tandem yeah absolutely that god has given absolutely in the context of community uh yeah. michael what were you gonna say yeah no i i mean it just that whole apest uh idea i think is amplified in second timothy uh where over and over again you guys hear me say this all the time but it, it it will only be successful in as much as we understand what it means to equip the saints for works of service or for works of ministry. And I think what Paul models in his relationship with Timothy is that what, what I've been saying, empower people to use their gifts and trust or inspire them to endure hardship. And we're certainly in this time period of hardship to entrust them to teach others who will teach others to stay on that mission that we that we've been given and mm-hmm. to remind them to preach the word of god uh in season and out of season mm-hmm. and that i mean those i think are foundational to our equipping of the saints and can you imagine if if we were able to do that uh, the, the the missionary force and not and by missionary force i'm not just thinking globally although that is something that we cannot lose sight of and I'm afraid that we tend to do that, especially now in this time of crisis, that we're losing sight of the global mission. But this missionary force that will be uh, unleashed and catalyzed uh, across our country and the United States and around the world. And, and I think um, maybe to think about this uh, in another way as well, just thinking about, Andrew, your, your reaction or responses is, is doing in the context of the community. When we think about these gifts as being... Uh, given to us by Christ through the Holy Spirit that are latent within us, that these are, are part of our missionary task. It's not about building our own brand. It's not about building our own industry. It's not about building our own even institutionalized church uh, or our name. Um, it's about building up the body of Christ. It's about whatever I have is about me giving it away. And the only way I can give it away to somebody is if I do that, I have to be in community. I have to give it to somebody else. Um, and so the way the gifts get played out is that they're meant for community because they can only be applied in the context of community. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not meant for me to hold on to and to write a book and to blog and then just be done, um, or or to stew on it. And, and in isolation, you can't physically fulfill the ministry and the mission and the calling in isolation at all. So you will always gravitate to community. You will always find community and we're resilient that way. I think that we will find ways that this is how it works is we could do it digitally. We could do it remotely over the phone. We could write letters. 
We can, <laughs> we can send air flares. We can light fires. We can do whatever we need to do, right? Um, we can sing from rooftops. But no matter what, these are the gifts given to us that are meant in the context of community, and that's it. And so I think that's the answer, at least part of the answer. At least. At least. This has been fun, guys. It has been fun. And we're getting to, I think we're getting to a point of of being mutually encouraged. And hopefully we're encouraging our listeners as well, because we don't, we certainly don't want to uh, uh, be pessimistic about the future. Uh, You know, God is a big God. And uh, he is not surprised by the things that we're going through. And he desires even more than we to see his church engaged in his mission. And, uh, and for that reason, we can be optimistic. And Christ has promised that he's going to build the church. And yep. uh, so there's nothing that we can do to destroy his church. Uh, he's going to do it. He's promised it. And, uh, and we can believe in the sufficiency and the sovereignty of a loving God. Amen. Amen. Uh, Guys, I want to read this to you, if you don't mind. Uh, This is out of my journal, um, a prayer that I wrote the other morning. And I think it just teaches on, it just speaks to a lot of what we were discussing today. Um, And so if you're okay with that, I'd like to close with this. Yeah, please. Father, starve us so that our hearts can hunger for you and only you again. Remind us of where we have come from as those who were once lost and are now found. We lament over how we have held the temptations and pleasures of the world in our hearts while confessing with smooth lips and identity in you. But your kingdom will not allow it. We repent from our sin of pride, selfishness, control, and privilege used for our benefit and not your glory. And I close with Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to love, uh, oops, (laughs) to learn to fear you. Couldn't read my own handwriting. Amen. Amen. That's a good prayer. Well, we invite you, our listeners, to be part of the growing Ephesiology global community. And uh, we're excited that you're with us and continue to engage with us uh, on this journey as we uh, navigate this world and as we continue to live and create not only just beyond the mission, but also for movement. And so whether you're an academic, a pastor, a church planter, a leader, a mentor, or a spirit-filled Christ follower with a desire for God's mission in the world, we have a seat at the table for you. So here are three easy ways you can be part of the Ephesiology community. First, subscribe to the Ephesiology podcast if you have not done so already, and leave a five-star rating and review so other people can find this material just as you have. Number two, head over to Ephesiology.com and sign up for exclusive content delivered from us right to your email. And thirdly, join the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page by searching Ephesiology. We'd love to hear from you. So far, Andrew, Michael, and myself, thanks for doing Theology and Community with us on the Ephesiology podcast.